0: Previously on Storyological.
1: (laughs) Accidentally, we have picked two stories that are just packed with sexual energy and... I can feel it coming in the air tonight. (laughs) The 80s, they were not a time for subtlety. This is Storyological, a podcast about amazing stories.
0: That we kind of like. I'm Chris Camarude.
1: And I'm E.G. Kosh.
0: Let's talk about pet milk, then. Yeah, let's get into it. Pet Milk. Yep. So my story this week is Pet Milk by Stuart Dybeck, published in the New Yorker in 1984 when I was three years old. And it was my favorite story of that year. (laughs) The story first recommended to me by a woman in my MFA program named Emily. And ever since I read it, I keep coming back to it. It is a fairly short story less than 2000 words in which approximately three things happen. Uh so in summary, there is a guy drinking coffee and he remembers his grandmother and then he remembers a girl he used to date around the time he was 22 years old. End of story. <laughs> Except of course that's that's not really the end of the story. Uh he does a lot of amazing things and in his use of flashback such that The story pulls you deeper and deeper into who this guy is and why these memories matter to him. And in particular, maybe why, both for the story's sake and for his sake, this memory of the woman that he knew around the time he was 22 was important. And the time they spent together. And this one particular amazing time they spent together on a train that, for all I know, was inspired by Risky Business. I don't know. I don't know. Who's to say? I don't remember when Risky remember Business that, came out as a film.
1: That part of Risky Business. Oh, there's
0: sex on a train. Is there? Yeah, oh. it was uh, revelatory. <laughs> Rebecca De Mornay and Tom Cruise. <laughs>
1: I can feel it coming in the air tonight. <laughs> Is that really the song they play yeah. over train sex? Oh Lord! Oh my word! <laughs> <laughs> the eighties—they were not a time for subtlety, except in short stories like this. Um,
0: yeah, who knows? Maybe it was a reaction to risky business. Maybe what we have discovered right now is this story. No, it wasn't. Um,
1: it is, but it's—it's it's restraint and it's kind of perfect, warm recollection of those moments that—that that seem that he's been thinking about as he just says, "Recently, recently, I've been drinking instant coffee and pet milk," and then. This drink sends him off into this reverie of memory. And and that's the entire story. You never learn anything else about his current day, who he is, what he does. It's all about this memory and and the way it leaves him and the reader feeling.
0: Recently, as I was picking apart the bones of this story, as I often do, there's a couple of things I noticed. One is that, you know, there's a knock against flashbacks that they're dumb, which is clearly dumb. There are very few things that are dumb in this world. They're just... Inappropriately and ineffectively deployed. And one of the one of the the perfect ways that flashback is deployed in this story is that the way the story moves, there are very specific chains that hold everything together. It's not as though the things that move us back through this man's past is people. So much as it is very specific moments involving these people. The very beginning of the story, it's today he is drinking instant coffee with pet milk. He's doing the specific thing Mm -hmm. today. And then he remembers his grandmother drinking the pet milk. And then he remembers her listening to a radio. And we learn about what the radio meant to her and what that world was of him growing up, of his grandmother immigrating to the country and being very comfortable listening to all these radio stations crammed down at one end of the dial. They were all staticky, and all she cared about was that it was people not speaking English, and that felt like home to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we go from that to a specific moment of him drinking this drink with a girl at a restaurant, something called a King Alphonse.
1: Alphonse. Yeah. I don't know what that is, apart from it's got creme de cacao in it, which I have never been able to bring myself to drink. My
0: deep, deep hope is that this drink is entirely made up and (laughs) we should just create it for ourselves and see what it tastes like. I'm just going to assume it's like absinthe with some creme de cacao.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But but Uh, the, the, one of the, the restaurant scene where he and his uh, girlfriend, Kate, are sitting, eating dinner and they eat dinner at the same place regularly enough that they know the waiter, they have a little routine. And they're they're at the cusp of their adult lives, of coming into their oh, I suppose their privileged positions in the world, right? They're at the moment they're right at the bottom of their of the respective companies, but they can afford to eat out at what seems like a pretty decent restaurant. They can afford to wear pretty decent clothes and, and so they they feel like The world is kind of swirling around them in the way of this pet milk swirling around the coffee. And it just, it feels, you know, there are some moments in life where it feels like the world is made for you to be doing this thing. And that's what he captures so perfectly in that little, um, what do you call it, vignette.
0: Ultimately, the story is taking us back through the past. But in a way, it gets stuck in this moment with Kate and just takes us through one night in their lives. And in that description of this one night in their lives, you're right, suddenly you've gone from the, the atmosphere of the beginning of a man staring into a cup of coffee, drifting back into the past, into the feeling of being... Uh, a young person feeling like there's an endless amount of possibility waiting for you to rush into
1: yeah Uh, luxuriate that's what that's the kind of word that came to my mind like not just rushing so much potential to to kind of just roll around in. like there's no hurry they they can be absolutely present in the things that they're doing right then
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely present. Though I really felt that like the the specific choice of the moment, of his 22nd birthday party, uh, as as the moment of them graduating college, the reason why the, the story hinges on that moment is that it couples the idea of boundless possibility with his first realizations of the future being a real place that he's going to go into, and which ultimately these two people, who have felt close to each other by sharing their separate future dreams... Those separate futures were, are going to tear them apart, and so it's the dawning realization—the dawning realization of the bittersweet nature of time—that that, that it, it brings you into these moments, and then these moments mm-hmm. will will mm. come away from you in the same way. Well, in the same way that so many of the images in the story of the swirling pet milk and the swirling snow—all of these. These moments and things that particularly once you're, once you're older in life and you think back, all of these memories are swirling around.
1: Right, exactly. And I think that what that kind of swirling does is help you feel like the guy, when he's older, when he's reminiscing, you know, he's looking back on, on when he first felt that kind of fear or that that issue that Mm. you know time would fall away from him and he's realizing that actually that's not the case i can flow through time back and forth at will conjuring up these memories these specific images yes i think
0: as i told you as i told you before i saw somebody on a blog post trying to understand why this story is so affecting Mm -hmm. when you read it and why much like i've shared it with you people people keep sharing it around like you should read this story um and i think it is exactly that that in its in its construction that in a way seems nostalgic and almost like like regret it actually is giving us this complete picture of the joy and the sadness that comes with your relationship with time so the image of the the older man at the beginning you're absolutely right like th- these things in the past are no longer Accessible to him in the sense that he can't live them anymore. And he might not be able to capture that same sense of promise that he had when he was 22. But he, like you said, he, th- this time still exists for him to swirl around in. And it gives us that period of, of a person at 22 where all of time seems open before you at the same moment you realize that these things are going to mm. be lost to time.
1: It's it's very, um, yeah, it's very Vonnegut. All, every moment in time is... Is there in a little bead of amber ready for him to access as if it was really happening.
0: The thing is, you also get a third image of a boy Mm. at the end of the story that isn't exactly him, but he imagined could be a version Mm -hmm. of him watching him and Kate in the train making love having a cool, sexy moment. The train is cascading through Chicago. It's the L, so it's the elevated train. So you're up in the, in the middle of the buildings. The sun is setting, and there's a younger boy on the platform, maybe 15 or 16. I'm going to read part of the end of the story. They're on the train, and they're rushing past the platform. And he says that he could see the expression on each face, momentarily arrested as we flashed by. A high school kid in shirt sleeves, maybe 16, with books tucked under one arm and a cigarette in his mouth, caught sight of us, and in the instant before he disappeared, he grinned and started to wave. Then he was gone, and I turned from the window back to Kate, forgetting everything, the passing stations, the glowing late sky, even the sense of missing her. But that arrested wave stayed with me. It was as if I were standing on that platform with my school books and a smoke, on one of those endlessly accumulated afternoons after school, when I stood almost outside of time, simply waiting for a train.
1: I, oh, go on.
0: Oh, I was just the, and so that, that image, we've, we've begun in a moment of a man letting memories of the past swirl up around him, and we've moved back to a period where you're young and you're rushing into the future, and we've ended with this image of a boy that moment when when you're young feels timeless, the endlessly accumulated afternoons after school where mm-hmm. there is no time. It all just stretches out around you.
1: Yeah. The only thing to think about is whether your current crush is actually ever going to look in your direction. Yeah. And yeah, those warm, sunny right. afternoons where you just kind of happy to lie in the warm grass.
0: And at the same time, and you have that joy of that timelessness, but you have the sadness that is a bit reflected in the in the fact that he imagines that that if he had been that boy how much he would have wished it was him on the train mm-hmm. that when you're young there's these moments that you flash by in front of you of adult life and adult joy that you're just like oh i can't wait until i'm that old like i so <laughs> wish i was that old that that lo- yeah, what were you gonna say i
1: love how he digs into the emotion of an image uh this is what i'm i'm trying to so You're right, there's three images, but then he unpacks each of those images with what they mean to him at different stages in life and to the people around him as well. And he just pulls on those images like magicians' flags and you keep following and keep following and each one is more colourful and beautiful than the next. And you kind of can't really believe he can fit all those flags into that one image. And by the time he finishes, you're kind of breathless and you think, how did you transition through all those different ideas all those different people and yet i didn't see a hairline crack between any of those sentences and that's what's so magical about
0: it yeah it is a story to study to learn about imagery and to learn about transitions he's constructed a story that, that is diving back into the past but in a sense as you read it it is just a, a train of images flashing past you moment after moment after moment. And the story takes you from an absolute moment of stillness where you dig into an image to a moment at the end, which is the moment of them making love in the sun setting, which is in a way the moment you as a reader are getting the most breathless and the most excited and it's the moment you most want to hold on to
1: mm, and it and, passes and so it passes quick. you
0: so quick and leaves you with an image of a boy on a platform with his hand raised in a kind of hello and goodbye that you're left yeah. with as a reader
1: yeah
0: that, that yeah that that careful control and restraint of right. of the use of imagery and the pace of that imagery to to affect the reader it reminded me Edgar Allan Poe very dead, very dead white man um, found in a gutter. Anyway, Edgar Allan Poe had this thing called a single effect, which is he thought that that a short story should be judged at how well it produces a single effect. Like it knows the one emotion, the one feeling it wants to plant into you, and all of the imagery and all of the the characters kind of should work together. To produce at the, the moment of the last word and the last line to explode into you this feeling, and this is one of those stories that does it and and when you read the last word, yeah you you are you're breathless and just you kind of you, you don't really want to drink pet milk because to this day i don't know what it is, much like i don't know what a king Alphonse is. Uh, and
1: that's fine. That's fine. We don't need to.
0: I know what snow is. <laughs> I know what trains are.
1: <laughs> <Fine>. <laughs> I know what it means when he lifts yeah. a skirt up.
0: Uh It's true too. Yeah, I know. I know the love of of goodbye and the love of hello. Um,
1: I was just going to pick up on the sexiness as a moment of transition to the other story or the story that I picked for this week.
0: That is that is a good a good good transition point. We
1: accidentally, we have picked two stories that are just. Packed with sexual energy and do it so well, do it, and do it so well and so delicately and so beautifully that, uh, you know, it leaves you kind of breathless in awe and um, just delighted by the whole thing. So so I'm going to kick us off with a summary of uh, Fisherman by Nello Hopkinson, which came out. Or which was in her collection Skinfolk, which I think was two thousand two. So in the story, a fisherman, Casey, visits the local whorehouse for the first time. And in some of the most tender and sexy lovemaking scenes I've ever read, Marianne, the proprietor of the whorehouse, shows Casey how to make love. So the the tension in the story comes from the fact that Casey is a woman, but living the life of a fisherman, and and Marianne finds, for the first time, it seems like, a kind of acceptance that she's never really found anywhere before in her village and in her life. And so after they finish, they go into the bar of the whorehouse where all of Casey's fisherman friends are, and they, she and Marianne get mocked, get called unnatural, but Marianne stands up for her and points out to the bully that yeah maybe his predilection for anal sex might be seen as unnatural by some people as well and and the story finishes with this guy the bully lenny finally dealing casey into the card game that the guys are playing and calling her fisherman you know that's the only identity that casey has ever wanted and casey's finally getting it from the people that that are her community and You know, when when it gets to that point after you've been through this giant emotional upheaval of the lovemaking and then she gets that acceptance at the end. Oh, my God. I was racked with kind of great gulping sobs. It was so happy making. I loved it.
0: Another story, like like pet milk. It achieves its single effect. I remember hearing... Uh, hearing from I, I think one of one of her former Clarion students, Nala, talking about understanding the bones of the story, and I was thinking about how Pet Milk, the bones of that story are very much about about memory and time, and the uh, the bones of a fisherman are are made of shame. And I can't do that. And who do you think you are? Like those bones are in the story, very to extent very simple bones of shame. But then she she puts on the skin that kind of hides and reveals the structure throughout the story. I think-
1: right the the shame is shown and revealed and hidden in so many different ways because Casey feels ashamed about so many different things she feels ashamed about her body for sure but she also feels ashamed about the smell that she has from um you know being a fisherman and in with the sea and the fish the whole time and so what that does is allows Nalo to kind of build up the the stakes and the ideas from, from very small bits like by the way, KC, I'm using she as the pronoun because I wasn't I wasn't hundred percent sure like if I talk to K C what would they want their pronouns to be?
0: Um as often happens to me when I read a story and I love it, I adopt its language wholeheartedly. So in all of my notes about the story I refer to them as they self. All of, all of the moments of shame and fear to move forward in, in the act of, of making love with Marianne, uh, all centered around either her body or her job, more or less. There's like this one image at the very beginning uh, of how she sees, you when know, she's seeing that Marianne has all of this this amazing stuff in her room, uh, like silk and this beautiful perfume. The fisherman doesn't feel like they're worth it. Like, you know, everything in the room is worth more than they are. And as well, there's this image that Marianne has this clear plane of glass. And in a way, that's, that's another bit of skin on the bones where it doesn't seem like it's about shame at all. But everything about the fact that the fisherman is focusing on that plane of glass is that they're seeing that clean plane of glass through the idea of shame. Because it's like, here's this Big pane of glass and it's so clean and so pure and you can see through it just fine. And the only pane of glass they got in the village is this cracked glass that this other guy has in their house and it's all it's a bit more murky and and so much of the feeling of the fishermen and the stories, they're they're wanting a, a sense of, of cleanness and clarity about about who they are and their and their place in the world. We were talking I think maybe maybe last week or the week before about about how stories kind of go in circles but move forward in the same way that the universe moves like the planets going around and around in circles that are going outwards is in a way you can see this story as as shame is kind of this this well of gravity and the fishermen keeps circling around it and getting a little further away and a little further away trying to achieve escape velocity
1: i thought of it a little bit like a seesaw i I felt like Casey had been kind of climbing up this steep, steep hill and suddenly she tipped over the fulcrum and Marianne had just grabbed her and pulled her down the other side and she just tumbled into this kind of sensuality and and Marianne catches her and makes it all okay and that is this wonderful kind of safe place to land for her.
0: Oh, something I thought the story did really well. It reveled in language, in a specific language of food and place. And so, every every bit of description that that Casey gives us, everything that they describe about their own body or the bodies around them, is is rooted in the very specific experience, the in the very specific experience of Casey. And you know, for example, sometimes when you read fiction, people want to to dramatize and give you the sense that someone's nervous and they would describe the sensation in the person's body by saying that like their heart is racing or their palms are sweaty you see it a lot um but in a way that always only as as the reader pulls you into a a cliche idea of of a generic kind of body experiencing generic bodily reactions it, 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 even as me as a reader, at a self in a selfish way, those descriptions don't give me anything more of the story. I understand more than likely this is a real person, and they have a heart, and that it can beat fast. But like Nalo uses every moment of description as a way to deepen the world around the character I mean, and, yeah, and deepen the character yeah. is and their place in the world. If if Casey's heart is, is leaping around because because Casey's nervous, then you get images not just of leaping, but like Casey said, that their heart was flapping around like a mullet on the planks of a pier. Or you get descriptions of, of Marianne as having hair curled up like the kind of cake that somebody made at, at a party. Or there was this one, I really love this one moment. Uh, Nala wanted to, uh, wanted to get us, give us the sense of, of what it felt like for Casey to be touching Marianne. And you get you get kind of a paragraph a description of Casey uh, remembering their grandmother and this cocoa tea drink that they drank with condensed milk in it, which I was like, bam, there you go, perfect uh, synergy because pet milk is condensed milk yeah um, right so through so it gives us a moment of, of of Granny making this great cocoa tea drink and Casey sitting on Granny's knee and feeling the velvet dress, just so that back in the moment with Marianne, we can get this understanding of of the way it feels to touch Marianne's skin. There's
1: so many quotes I want to read from this because you're right, the, the language in it is so rich and you can taste every sentence as it goes by. Um, so this is a little section from early on in their lovemaking it says my breath only i'm not going to try a jamaican accent i think that would be a, a bad situation for everybody uh, so my breath only coming in little sips i feeling feverish and what happening down between my legs i ain't-, ain't even wanna think about i strong i could move my head away even though she's still holding it but i don't want to be rude i cast my eyes down instead and find myself staring at the two fat bubbies spilling out of she dress Round and full like spread. He does eat with shark, but brown skin, dark brown. Oh, it's so lovely. I think you know. Not only is not only is the food and the the sensuousness, or the food, kind of the source of the sensuousness of the story, but like every every description is filled with it. So she describes Marianne's laugh as coming out cracked and full up of full up of holes, and I was like, oh my goodness, I. You know the the other story this made me think of, um, which also is uh, a non contains lots of non heterosexual lovemaking is Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, and she's another writer who can make a moment between two people so beautiful and tense and intense and full of terror and wonder at the same time that. It, it, i feel myself holding my breath as i read her so for anybody who enjoyed this story and um, wants something else that is um about 100 times longer sarah waters books clock in at i don't know three or four hundred pages but fingersmith is an amazing amazing read
0: all those other amazing descriptions—from the food in her life to to the nets being cast into the sea, to the conch cells on the beach, to to what you're describing of of how Marianne's laugh was full of holes, which was connected to this bell that was rung, this bronze kind of rusted bell that was rung to to call the village women out to help haul in the catch—and and Casey loved that bell, and you know they just wanted to ring it, but they didn't want to make the village women mad, and I loved how the one moment where the language of Casey kind of escapes them is in a moment of climax during sex where when they're describing what it feels like in their body they have they have no reference point so suddenly the description of the body is just that the buzzing is like something
1: what that section made me think of when you're saying you know she she forgets her words is exactly that she in that moment, she forgets to be self-conscious about this body that she finds awkward and big. And um, she just describes it delightfully as boobaloops clumsy. And But in that moment, that's not who she is. Marianne has shown her how she can be, you know, who, how she can ride a storm.
0: So that, that description of it, of it being like lightning or riding the storm is the one place in the story where like and when I say the language is, escapes uh, escapes Casey is like it it becomes the the cliche it becomes this kind of reaching for for words and 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 feelings that are more like you would get from i don't know I don't know, but they're 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 generic in a way, and yet it is though that claiming of a kind of generic joy of, of sex and making love is triumphant and placed there in the story. You feel the triumph of like, yeah, I can ride the storm. Um, for for me, like the, the reason why it was so important for the story, why it works so well for the story to be grounded in the potential reality is that shame generally sits very close to your body. And that in a story where you're, where you're talking about, about, about shame you don't want it to be a story where it feels like you're you're modifying things off the ground. You're using language to lift people out of themselves. You want to you want, and what this story does is it's placing people very firmly and joyfully in like the gorgeous salt sweet kind of self. That's why I feel like, felt like it was so triumphant that in the climax was the moment where where the shame and the body dropped away for a minute. A side note: I love how part of of the of of that that circling back around shame and moving forward, was a moment where where Casey could say, uh, "I don't want your fingers inside me. That's not who I am." And not to be about describing a shameful experience, but to be about this is my body and this is what feels comfortable, and to be able to describe it like Casey did in a very clear way. It's like you know, I am not a glove for you to wear, and Marianne to just return it. As she does so often in the story, which is to take something that could feel shameful or wrong or awkward and give it back to Casey in this kind of shining, beautiful, uplifting. All the way back to the very beginning, again, like putting skin on the bones that both hide and reveals, Marianne brings out the shell and says, oh, the shell, you know, it smells like the sea, it smells beautiful, and it's amazing, and gives it to Casey, who feels like the sea smells like work, and dirt, and something wrong about it.
1: Oh, yeah, that that moment when Casey says, no, this isn't for me, I think is a perfect kind of baseline for the story or it helps, it helps it feel like something other than Marianne's just taking her on this journey and doing whatever she wants. But, you know, it helps us ground ourselves in Casey's desire. Like, yeah, she is choosing to go down this path. She is choosing to have this physical, and, and physical intimacy and emotional release with Marianne. It's not just being done to her. I think the only other thing I want to say about this story is ah oh, damn just read it it's amazing there is no way our discussion can can do it justice really so uh it's in Nalo's collection Skinfolk um which is a book full of wonderful stories uh, but this is the standout one for me thanks for listening readers uh, As always, you can let us know your thoughts on these stories or tell us about what stories you're loving that we might want to talk about. Uh, You can hit us up on Twitter. We are at Storylogical, which is story.
0: Like the word. Oh. Like an onion ring.
1: And logical.
0: Like syllogisms. You can follow her on Twitter at EGKosh.
1: And you can follow him on Twitter at Kuvols. C-U-V-O-L-S.
0: For links to all of the things we referenced and appropriate gifts, as well as a chance to subscribe to our newsletter and this podcast, you can find us at our home on the interweb,
1: storylogical.com. See you next week. Thanks for listening.
0: Happy reading. Okay. All right. Uh, Emma, one, two, three, stop. One, two, three...